I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the Edugals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Danny Hendrickson, an award-winning author whose latest book, The Living Legend, A Last Enemy Prequel, is our focus. It's an action-packed adventure. You won't want to put it down, and you are going to love this discussion. Thanks for listening. And then, by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you would uh, reach out to your friends, your colleagues, your family members, and say, hey, have you ever listened to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12? Mm, it's a great podcast and it's just for you. So uh, why don't you do that and send them a link and say, take a listen. I'd love it if you did that. Thanks so much. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. The intro and outro were created and performed by Brian K. Buffington. You can find more about Brian at briankbuffington.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Thanks, Brian. Cool, huh? It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Dan Hendrickson was born in Sheridan, Wyoming in 1962 near the rustic Bighorn Mountain Range to Carl and Helen Hendrickson. He went to school in the Sheridan School District, graduating from Sheridan High School in 1981. He was an avid participant in boxing, martial arts, wrestling, and track. His father owned a small eight-lane bowling alley that he ran until Dan was 12 years old. Carl also had a master's degree in English and loved to write poetry and plays. Dan picked up on his father's love for the written word and enrolled in Casper Community College in 1982, majoring in journalism. Although he found that he had an aptitude for investigative reporting, he decided that his interests were in other areas. He went on to do much volunteer work with the Christian ministry throughout the United States, most of his adult life, and continues to pursue those endeavors to this day. During that time, he gained another degree in practical theology. Throughout his many ministry assignments, he also worked several secular jobs. Some of his work experience includes law enforcement, security, emergency medical technician, and firefighting. He also helped run a martial arts school where he was a senior instructor. Most notable of his work experience is his auto detailing endeavors. He and his wife, Cheryl, have owned three different auto detailing businesses throughout the country, the last of which they still run to this day. Today, we're focused on his latest novel, a prequel, The Living Legend, A Last Enemy Prequel. So here's a little bit about The Living Legend. His new novel, The Living Legend, shows a brilliance at creating tension and conflicts in the story. For those who enjoy action and adventure in a military setting, they will adore this book. Deception, politics, corruption, bravery, love, integrity, determination, and lots of action are the key elements on The Living Legend, the latest in the Last Enemy series from Dan E. Hendrickson. This is his follow-up book to Penning Brandy, Ballad of a Pirate Princess, which was named last year by Online Book Club as its historical fiction book of the year. Set in the 1970s on one side of the world, Tommy, a man seeking vengeance for his father's murder. On the other side, Makina, a woman seeking to stop the slavery of her people. We'll find out how their worlds collide in The Living Legend. My books tend to have a military law enforcement flavor because they deal with issues like modern-day human trafficking, organized crime, high-sea drug smuggling, historical piracy, and slave trading, says Hendrickson. This one takes place when the Navy SEAL program was launched, and the mission is to go after a Russian assassin. Dan, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Well, hello, everybody. It's certainly wonderful to be here, and thank you for having me. 
Well, it's great to have you here and uh, love your book. And this is cool stuff here. So um, let's start by talking about you and why you became a writer. Well, that's an easy question. I always love when people ask me that. My father was an English professor and um, he loved to read and he loved to write. And one of the things that uh, we always did as children is we would always let our dad read our books so that he'd have something to talk to us about. And my dad was one of the most prolific readers I have ever met. He could read four or five books a week. I've seen him go through a 500 page book in two days. And sometimes we would, (laughs) we'd check out books from the library or we'd bring books home from school or stuff like that. He'd find them and he'd go through them uh, during that day while we were at school. So he'd have something to talk with us about when we got home. And I know he loved to write poetry and I knew he liked, he wrote some plays and got them published by the university of Wyoming. And I just picked up on it. And I really, ever since I was a little kid, probably by third grade, I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, I got, I received a degree in journalism back at that college in Casper, Wyoming, and I worked for a newspaper for a little while, but my real love was I wanted to tell stories and I just basically returned to that about five years ago. That's so cool. I, I, and you know, it's just a note. It's just a, it's you've, cause you've had all these neat experiences and all these different jobs that you had. And so I could see how that could also pay off. Although I'm going to ask you a question kind of sort of like that a little bit later, but it's, you know, it's uh it, it really, you kind of, you have a nice way of writing. And I'm going to get into that here in just a minute where, you know, one of the things that I think is neat is how you, you know, what your, your book takes a look at and how certain things happen. So I'm going to ask you some formatting questions here in just a second okay. or, or writing questions. Um, you have written several books. So I got to ask this, cause this is a popular question today. Do you outline or do you start from where you start and just keep going and let your imagination go? Well, I'm, I don't know if I'm different, but I've got to know the ending. I won't start the book until I know how it's going to end. And that's really how, that's really what keeps me focused. I got to have a good solid ending to my story. And therefore I got to know where the beginning is too. Now I've gone back and re uh, wrote more of the beginning uh, of books before, because I just thought of more to put in there. But I think what keeps me focused in an outline format is I know how it's going to end. I know where it's going. So a lot of that's just filling in the space and, and, and making it work. And all when I write, I don't necessarily like write from A to B. I'll put together some, you know, some scenes, some, some categories in, in one end of the book. And then I, maybe I'll think, oh, maybe I need to expand on this a little bit more. And I'll go back and I'll fill in some different gaps. That happened with The Living Legend. Um, there, was a, there was a point in there where we went from Tommy's father getting assassinated to him going right to SEALs training. And my editor pointed out to me that I'm not really telling people why he went to SEALs training. So I put another section in there where he had a, an encounter with a uh, Marine Corps general and a sergeant in the special forces and kind of helped everybody understand why Tommy chose special forces. So, yeah, I got, I, I do keep a bit of an outline, but not like real precise. I try to keep it open, you know, so I guess I'm right in the middle is what I'm trying to say. That's cool. That's cool. Sorry. I had, had asked that cause it's, it's neat to hear how writers think about uh, that process and what, and what mm-hmm. they do to try and keep themselves in track or, on track or, and make sure that they don't, <laughs> don't wander off into some never, yeah. never land someplace. So that's cool. Uh, it, and so now I got to ask you, cause you brought them up. I, you, you, can you talk a little bit about your characters? Cause one of the things that's really cool, um, you know, you have something that uh, is pretty important to the storyline that kind of catches the reader by surprise. <laughs> and, uh, and what I thought was cool was that 
you feel for the character already, even though you've only known the character for a short time. And, uh, and I think it's neat because your, your characters feel like real people. And uh, can you talk about how you, how you create them? I mean, how do you, how do you develop them? Well, this character, uh, Tommy Williams, in this book, um, I've known some people that have been in special forces in the military and who've also went on to do law enforcement. And uh, they are an inspiration. They awe me that they want to dedicate their entire lives to serving and protecting us, you know, whether in the military, whether and then on into law enforcement. Um, I actually uh, got to patrol with the guy that did that. He was in the army, then the Marine Corps. Then he went on into the uh, Homeland Security. And I actually dedicated the book to him, a man named Perry Priester. And I, I, a lot of my characters are, are based on people like that that I've met over the years. And it's really, you know, especially the living legend, it's just kind of a salute and an applause to those guys and those, those men and women because they're just awesome people. And I get real inspired being able to talk to them and being able to find out about their lives and stuff and, and what they did and the kind of training they went through to get there. And, you know, they just, they're very intense people, but they're also very fantastic people because they're very committed and they, you know, they have, they're on a mission <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it's pretty cool. So that's one of the background to some of my characters in this book. You know, that's awesome. That's, uh, and so is there, is there something that you do to kind of keep yourself on track with them as far as like the things they like, or if they're snarky or if they're, they're fun loving, or if they're someone who, you know, has a, has an issue with a, a spouse that you brought up. You know, I mean, how do, how do you kind of do stuff like that? Well, you just have to kind of think about how life plays out for yourself and how your friends and family and everybody work together and work environment. And you just pull from all of that. You know, I'll see a, a situation develop like in the, in the business that I work at between two people. And, you know, a couple of days later that might end up in my book. Nice. Uh, just, just, uh, not necessarily the exact same situation, but just making something model after it. And, and I'm, I'm a huge movie buff. I love movies. And so, you know, you get a lot of ideas just watching stories play out on, on, on the silver screen and it helps you think up different ways to, to, to say the same kind of story and stuff. So there's just, you know, you can pull from everything. It's just being able to pull from life and be a very observant watcher. I think that's most what most writers, most of us authors are. We like to watch and look at everything and study everything and, and see how we can put them into our stories. You know, you know, I mean, I've heard that before, you know, be careful. You're going to end up in my book. <laughs> you know? I like that. You know? That's awesome. That's so cool. I, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I got to ask you because, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording and, uh, but uh what was your inspiration for The Living Legend? I mean, what made you say, I have got to write about that? Well, like I said, uh, The um, Living Legend is a prequel to my Last Enemy series. And in my Last Enemy series, the uh, main protagonist, well, there was three. There was uh, Commander Jacob Edwards, there was Marnia, Captain Marnia Gonzalez, and then there was uh, Daniel Edwards, his daughter. And... Um, Commander Edwards was trained in uh, the military by Tommy Williams to be a uh, special force operative. He was on a pirate task force in the Caribbean, modern day pirate task force. And Tommy was a captain in the Navy, but he had a whole network of men 
and women in his organization from all branches of the military and law enforcement that worked for him. And uh, Jacob rose right to the top of that particular organization as the number two man. And one of the things that they all called Tommy that he hated was they called him the living legend. And I made a big deal about that throughout the three books. Whenever somebody called him that, he would, you know, he would tell him to stop. He didn't like it, but I never explained why. Well, the living legend tells you why he doesn't like it when people call him that. And so I just really felt like Tommy was such a colorful character. He was in, he's been in almost, he's been in five of my six books and now six books because he's in the living legend. And I just felt like I needed to show his backstory and just show how he got to where he was at. That's cool. That's uh, and just a note because you're talking to a uh, someone who loves movies and, and books, and I'm you know, an avid reader. Um, but I, and by the way, I'm a, <laughs> I'm faster than I ever was. But uh, I'm you know people put run circles around me. I never finished three books before I finished the first one, but. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love reading. I love thinking about this stuff. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's cool when uh, um, writers create, you know, a good feeling that you kind of get to know these characters and, and uh, stuff like that. So when you wrote a prequel, did you have to stop yourself once in a while and go, wait a second, they don't know this yet? Um, not usually, because I, I usually try to explain my... Uh, my characters as they go. I mean, I don't like it when somebody does that to me. Uh, I don't like being in, in the middle of a story and having something just shoved in there that there's no, there's not enough buildup or depth to it. So I, I don't, um, I'm, if I ever do that in my writing, I want to apologize, <laughs> but I do, I try not to do that. And so I try to give the, I try to build the bricks evenly with the, with the character development so that you know who he is and what he's doing and what he's all about and, uh, or she. And so yeah, that's how I develop the characters is just from the ground up. And I don't really get to the point in the middle of a story where I think, oh, well, they don't really know something about because I, I think I've already told it or I try to build up because I don't like it. So now I'm repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I, and I, it's, it's great to know that uh, you don't like it when someone does that. And I, I, I hate that. I, it drives me nuts. And suddenly you're like, what? <laughs> but yeah. But, uh, well, cool. So, so can you give the listeners a brief commercial for living legend? I mean, if you wanted to just highlight that, that bing, bang, boom there, what do you, what would you tell them? I would tell them that the living legend started out in 1890 with a man by the name of Tamani Ali, who was a African freedom fighter who went to, uh, Asia, Saudi Arabia and places and hunted down and stole back his people that were captured for slavery and brought them back home. And that uh, that's the whole inspiration for the book. Almost a hundred years later, he has a great granddaughter that is going to the Kenyan um, city, uh, you know, the capital city to uh, petition the president to start a movement to uh, curtail human trafficking in her country. And this is taking place back in like 1973, 74. And uh, on the other side of the world, you have Tommy Williams just graduating from the Naval Academy and his dad gets assassinated right in front of his face. And he wants to go after this assassin with everything he's got. He ends up going into the Navy SEALs to learn how to be somebody who could take down 
this guy. And the big thing about the living legend is how these two people's world collide because this assassin has his fingers in almost everything, including modern day slave trading. And so therefore Tommy is going to go over there hunting him and he's going to end up helping McKenna which is the great granddaughter. And so I don't want to give any more spoilers, but that's pretty much how the book plays out. That's awesome. And it's a cool story and it, it keeps you from that, uh, from the beginning. Uh, like I said, you don't expect certain things to happen. They happen and the, and the pace picks up from there. So, you know, so I got to ask you this, why do you write of heroes who are imperfect and they have to overcome these flaws and make tough choices and deal with moral problems, moral challenges? Well, I think people need to have that to connect with the hero. Um, you know, there was a, there's something in the uh, literary world called the uh, the super the Superman complex or the Superman problem. Okay, Superman only had one vulnerability, kryptonite. So, in order to make the story interesting, you had to introduce kryptonite into every single one of the stories. Otherwise, who cares? You know, Superman, you, you can't hurt him. You can't do anything. You know, all you can do is get kryptonite after him. Well, people don't connect with that. And so, you know, people want to see somebody they can relate to. Oh, okay. So they, they, they didn't start out being this great superhero type person. They started out as a regular person. They had issues. They had obstacles. They had to overcome. They had growth they had to go through. And so I think that really helps people root the hero on. I know I do when I watch a movie or I read a book where the, somebody has to grow into that um, particular role and take it on after overcoming obstacles. I think that's just, that's a, that's a pretty hardcore storyline that everybody loves. I think you're so right. It's so right. Especially when it's, it's real world type stuff too, that uh, they have to make choices or, or that, that challenge them to be in one place versus being in another place and all kinds of things like that. So cool. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that you have in your background is that you were a sheriff's deputy. Uh, did this shape how you write and or what you write about? And I was kind of hoping you might segue in here a little bit about some of those topics that you use. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, I did have a brief spent, stint in my life uh, in law enforcement, and uh, pretty much I was put on the midnight shift because I was the new guy on the block. And so I spent a lot of time out on a lonely road, watching, waiting for speeders and stuff like that. Had a lot of time to think. And um, pretty much my, my, my experience in law enforcement was basically pretty boring. But the training is what really helped me. The training that I got in, uh, you know, EMT, emergency medical technician, firefighting. I got training in um, ASP and baton, which is, you know, some of the, the non-lethal weapons that a, a police officer will uh, train in. I also got training how to use a stun gun, how to use pepper spray properly. I got training in escalation of force. You know, what kind of force can an officer use when he is confronted? confronted by force is it equal opposite or what you know what's what's what how's the the dichotomy of the law work in that category how's it work for law enforcement how does it work for private individuals um you know just understanding all that has been really really one of the big boons in my writings because i got that background and i have all that training that i went through you know with the with the pistol training was just absolutely you know priceless uh, understanding crystal craft and different weapons the difference between an automatic and a revolver the difference between a um you know a, an assault rifle and a shotgun and what it means legally and what it means practically i mean it's you know all that stuff really helped me i never had the privilege of going into the military like my father did and like my son is right now so the military so the police training that i got was really what i, I draw on a lot when i write some of this stuff 
That's excellent. That's really cool. Um, and it's, I mean, cause you've had a lot of cool different experiences and I can see being a, even though you're sitting on those lonely roads, uh, at the same time, it, I mean, I mean, that's, it's just the experience of, I'm guessing that you, were you wearing a, um, a vest and stuff like that? To- uh, most of the time, yeah, we had to wear a vest. Yeah. Now, this is back in the early 90s, and so they were just becoming a little bit more uh, standard wear. So this is like, you know, in Ohio, West Central Ohio. And, uh, you know, I mean, at, during that time, a lot of officers were uh, progressing from the old six-gun, you know, the Taurus three fifty seven or whatever, whatever they carried to the, you know, the Glock 21, which is a 45, which is semi-automatic. And so that back then was what was going on. Not today, you know, pretty much everybody, all the officers carry semi-automatics. You hardly ever see a guy carrying a wheel gun, but they do. And, uh, if you notice, I put that, that whole wheel gun thing in, in my book, the living legend, I made Tommy an expert. So, and I love that by the way, that's, yeah, that was yeah. so cool. <laughs> Cause that was kind of neat how you kind of, it, it happens and it plays a role, how it, how you introduce it. So I think that's neat. The, uh, yeah. awesome. I, you know, so I gotta, I gotta ask this cause you know, we're, we're talking about Navy SEALs and then we're talking about this, these different trainings you have. So the first one I want to ask you is, what type of research do you do for your stories? I mean, I also understand that you learned something interesting about the founding of the Navy SEALs program while you were writing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did have a gentleman that uh, had experience with the Navy SEALs that used to be a shop foreman for me a few years ago. And so I learned a lot from him. Um, also, <laughs> you know, thank God for the internet <laughs> because you know, and if you know the right sources to look at, that's good, you know, educational sources that don't, you know, stretch the truth any, but you can just look up good, solid research and any, you can find it out there and you can read, you know, all kinds of articles and all kinds of uh, things about anything you want. And I looked up Navy SEALs and I looked up how it was, you know, it started, it was basically started like, I think 1960, 1962, something like that. And uh, by the, by the time my book is, it only been going for about 12 years. But one of the things that really helped my book um, develop my character about the founding of the Navy SEALs is that it wasn't that popular in the Navy back then. Now today, they're the elite, you know, they're, 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 they're America's heroes. Everybody loves them and rightfully so. But back then the Navy didn't want to popularize their special forces outfit like the green berets did like the, uh, uh, Marine Corps force recon did, you know, some of those guys, they, those, they, they were, they made movies about that. You remember John Wayne and the green berets and different things that you had the, the devil's brigade, um, with the special forces in world war two but the Navy wanted to kind of keep it under wraps. They didn't, they didn't want to really popularize it. And so they had a little base at Little Creek, Virginia, where they trained these guys back then. And it was, if a man in the Navy, especially an officer, chose that path back in like the early 70s and the 60s, he chose a path where he was going to gain ranks slower than mostly everybody else. Um, he wasn't going to see a lot of advancement because it's just it just wasn't that well known and stuff and it wasn't that popular uh tommy was slated to be a jag lawyer like his dad his dad was a jag lawyer and then he went in the state department became a uh ambassador to japan but tommy was graduated second in his class in annapolis he came out he uh they, they were ready to send him to an ivy league school on the navy's dime to become a lawyer and then he sees his dad assassinated and he goes you know 
does a does a complete 180 and he goes into the Navy SEAL program. And everybody thought he was out of his mind in my book because they, that's what they said. You're not going to gain any kind of, he says, Tommy, if you would have went in as a JAG lawyer, you probably would have made captain in 20 years. If you go in to the Navy SEALs, you'll be lucky if you make lieutenant commander in 20 years back then. And so that was kind of neat to, to, to bring that, in, that into the mix of the story. And it was neat to, un, to unravel that in, through the articles I read about the Navy SEALs back then. And, you know, really, they started out, they called them frogmen. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that's really how it started out. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot you can learn. And as you're going through different scenarios, like I read this book uh, about Navy SEAL training, and I came across this one section where they talked about the uh, the boat races with the trainees and how uh, they were watching these guys do the boat. They had, to, like, they had to row out to a, a mile out to harbor and a mile back. Then they had to pick up the boat and run up a hill and, 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 and race. And if you, if you won that race, you got to sit the next race out. And um, if you didn't win and you had to keep running, well, Tommy's team kept winning and one of the other guys' team kept losing. And then the, uh, the commander and one of the, uh, the non-commissioned officers got together and they said, hey, we need, to, we need to switch these two guys up. I saw that in that book that this was a real training thing that happened at, at, at a Navy SEAL base where they, they took the, the commander of the losing team and put him in charge of the, of the winning team and vice versa. And they both, you know, they, and, and the commander, the captain of the base, he really taught those two guys something by doing that. And I thought, wow, this would be great to be put in the book. And so, yeah, that's what research will do for you. It'll give you fantastic ideas. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Just imagine, you know, you find out that uh, information and suddenly guess where it is. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love it. Very cool. It, and it's awesome. And it, just as a note, it is interesting how they went from something that they wanted to kind of keep quiet to now it's something that, you know, it's kind of popular for books to be written about them and such. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, was it Chris Pratt just did a series on Amazon um, right. about a Navy SEAL? And then, uh, yeah, there's it's a very popular subject right now. The U.S. Special Forces, basically, when you, when you say Special Forces today, you think Navy SEAL um, first, I think. You know? There's a lot of other yeah, Special Forces out there, but most people think Navy SEAL when they hear it. Oh, it's definitely first to pop in your mind, especially yeah. if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world. So, um that's awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, one of the things I got to make sure that we talk about is you, you have this training in martial arts that assists you in creating realistic action-packed fight scenes. Um, could you tell everyone about who Bill Shaw was and his impact on your writing? Well, Bill Shaw is probably one of the um, early shakers and movers of the uh, freestyle concept of martial arts. Now, I ran into Bill when I was in college back in 1981, when I first went to college, 82, 82. And I joined his school, and it was just by pure accident, really, that I ran into this guy. He he was out on the West Coast. He had studied under Steve Golden, who was one of Bruce Lee's uh, students back then. And he had brought... Uh, a bunch of martial arts background together with what he learned from Steve Golden and, and Jet Kundo, and he developed his own martial art and it's called Han Fu Wa. And it's a freestyle martial art, which combines a lot of different martial arts into, you can't even really call it a style because he doesn't like to call it a style because the style restricts movement. He says a, a freestyle movement is just taking all these different techniques and concepts and try to make them work together. Like, you know, throw a kick and be able to do an Agoshi 
throw or, uh, you know, being able to use a whip in and then also use a takedown or something like that. Just being able to do all these things at once. And that he was a real innovator with that. And he spent a lot of time teaching us how to do that, you know, showing us a stance that'll work for, you know, several different movements and several different techniques instead of like in some of these real traditional martial arts, you've got like five stances for different things you need to do. So you're always switching your stances and stuff and it takes time. Uh, so Bill Shaw was very influential in that and he had to articulate all of this stuff to us because his philosophy was he couldn't get you to get a mental picture of what you could do when, uh, with the, with the stuff he was teaching you, then he was, he was not successful and he's right. And so he taught us how to mentally see ourselves do these certain moves in certain ways. And when I became an instructor, I had to do the same thing. So you know, after years of doing that, I mean, being able to write down a fight scene was just second nature to me because, you know, I knew, I knew the technique. I knew the, I knew the move. I knew the counter move. I knew, you know, the different options you can use for it. And Bill affected me in all that. And, you know, Bill is a, he's also a, a, a Hollywood fight choreographer. He's been in movies like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Kit Carter with Sylvester Stallone. He's, he's a good friends with Billy Zapka. He did the whole shoot fighter thing with him back in the early nineties. And, you know, so he's, he's got a lot of experience in showing martial arts to the public and making it very entertaining. And so for me to just transition that into writing was quite easy. That's excellent. That's so cool because it, you know, because it is a big deal because, you know, sometimes um, I wonder how many writers actually have any experience in doing some of the moves and things like this. I'm not talking about being a barroom brawler. That's not my point. I, uh, I don't think yeah. I have to do that to be able to write it. But at the same time, uh, what what's some, that's some great background. And then to know that uh, he was uh, um, doing all that good stuff with Hollywood, you know, with the stuntman part and uh, what a, what a cool thing. So he's also going to know about falling and about the different ways of oh, yeah. uh, of taking a hit and such like that. So I think that's cool. <laughs> but go ahead. Are you gonna- well, I was going to tell you a story. Well, I was in his, um, I did, I actually interviewed him a couple of months ago. He's on my YouTube channel. And uh, one of the things that I'll never forget about Bill, is everybody's heard about the one inch punch. Have you heard about the one inch punch? Okay. I I came to Bill as a boxer. I had boxed for four years in high school and I thought I was pretty good and I was pretty handy with my fists. And we were working out one day and I was just like only into my second belt and which was a blue belt in his system. So I'd only been going there for about a little less than a year. And he was talking about concepts and stuff. And I just, and and we called him Sifu because he, he liked the Chinese, um, stuff better than he liked the uh, the Korean and the Japanese. So he, we called him Sifu. And I said, Sifu, I don't believe in the one-inch punch. He goes, what do you mean? I said, there's just no way. I've been a boxer for four years. There's no way you can get that much power in that um, that that kind of a punch. And he goes, he said, go get some focus pads. Focus pads are, you know, the things you wear, people hit them, you know. So I went and I got two focus pads to so put them up against your chest. So I put them up against my chest. And um, I, I was standing about 10 feet away from a wall and gets up there like that. He takes his fist like this, you know, and he marks an inch out from there and he closes his fist and pow. And he just lifted me off the ground and shoved me right into that wall. And I'm like, I'm so stunned. I can't even believe it. I mean, cause I saw where he threw the fist, the, threw the punch from. I get down. He walks 
covered me, he sticks his finger in his face and goes, everything you need to know about that punch, I've already taught you. Some real searching in my mind after that. I was like, okay, what, what is he taught me? And it's just all in the movements, the mechanics and stuff. But it was just so cool for him to, to you know, because that gave me a mind picture of that really being able to happen. And then after he told me that he'd already taught me how to do it, I started thinking through the mechanics of what he taught me. And there's something else you can articulate in a book. You know, you could actually let people experience that with you by showing the movements and what they mean. It, it just makes it so much more real. I, I think it's, yeah. it's amazing because having that background, that knowledge, and by the way, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm guessing that after you hit the floor, hit the wall, whatever, uh, <laughs> there's party going, okay, so now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank God he was merciful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. That's what I was, yeah. he yeah. didn't follow it up with anything else. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, Dan, we're getting ready to, to finish up and i was just wondering if uh, you would uh, uh if someone to learn more where would you send them well you can go to my website it's dan e all lowercase and pretty much everything is there um all the rewards that my books have gotten over the years all my books are on there i have um some uh interviews that i actually did with bill shaw and another man um that he trained to be a martial artist who also got into the, um, the whole Hollywood thing. And I've, you know, I've got some blogs on there and stuff and you can find all my books. You can find all my, um, all my stuff right there. Danny Hendrickson.com. It's just, it's a really good website. I have a really good website. The guy I was talking about, his name is Troy Miller. He's uh, he's, he's still currently working as a Hollywood stuntman. And he also owns a martial arts studio in Colorado. He's a great guy. Excellent. Excellent. I, <laughs> Um, so I'll put uh, the information to um, to find out more for about your website on my uh, show notes. And so it'll be right there. So people listening, you know, whether they're at a desktop, at a laptop, or got it on their mobile, they'll be able to pull it up right there and go to you. So it'll be linked so they can find your webpage that way, which would be awesome. And it's a awesome. great stuff there. And uh, um, I appreciate it. And, and so I got uh, um, two follow-up, two questions that have nothing to do with your writing, but are questions okay. I like to ask my guests. And... Uh, and here we go. First one is, uh, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Just never lose sight of what you want to do, what you want, what you want, what you want to accomplish. Um, you know, the goal is always bigger than what you're getting right now. It's always got to be bigger. If it isn't, then you're going to stop. So, you know, I mean, especially in writing books, um, they're over like, two to three million books a year being published these days, especially since, since the pandemic hit, there's a lot of people out there writing books. So, you know, you got to really love to do it. Uh, if you don't love to do it, you're going to stop because there, you, you're It's a big, huge hill to climb. But if you love it, if you like telling stories, you know, there'll be, you'll, you'll, it'll, you'll, you'll, you'll keep yourself motivated. Um, don't do it for the money you know, even if you get it, don't do it for the money. Cause you'll stop sooner or later. And I, 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 you know, when it comes to your passions, you don't ever want to just do it for the financial reward. I mean, that's nice if you get it, you know, which and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, but the reward is really, is somebody enjoying what you're doing. And that's really what I look for. So like one of my biggest dreams is to walk into a place and hear two people talking about one of my stories and I don't know them, never met them before in my life. That's, that's like the coolest thing that could ever happen, you know, to me. 
So that's, that's one of my goals to see that happen. That's excellent. That would be awesome, by the way. That yeah. would be mm-hmm. yeah, really good. Um, mm-hmm. The last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, as far as writing goes, it had to be my um, in journalism instructor, Dan Jones. Dan was a uh, professor at Casper Community College, and then he went down to Texas Tech and became a dean. He just recently um, passed away a few years ago, but I really, really liked him because he was very encouraging, um, and he uh, he knew how to tell you when you made a mistake but not make you feel bad about it. And he knew how to get you to get motivated to get better. Um, one thing he used to tell everybody about me, he says, Dan can really write a good story. And he's talking about a new story. He just needs a good editor. <laughs> so, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for talking with me today. The Living Legend, a Last Enemy prequel is an action-packed, fast-paced adventure. It's so cool. Love it. And uh, it was so cool talking with you. Wishing you the best in all you do. Well, thank you, Steve. Wish you the best, too, and thanks for having me on. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.